It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen that no sheets. The land of the platter with the fear fight down. I fire in a fire, Mr. Sixth Southern Gang, and the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Here I am, I'm behind a bush, sort of separating it out so you can see me peeking through the dark heart of the jungle, oh no, of the city. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, I'm supposed to be in the city, not in the jungle. That's right. We are oh. well, we're not quite in the city. We're in a city, but right. we're not in urban city. Well, I'll tell you, part we're of rural city. Part of this property here is a jungle. I'll tell you that much. Oh yes, with all my plants. All those. I have plants. new baby plants. Oh, Yay. that's awesome. What do you have? Lemon cucumbers. Wow. Came up. They're, so they taste lemony, I guess. Yes, they're going to have a little bit of a lemon flavor, but. I think they're yellow, too. Oh, okay. Well, that would explain. Very pretty. Very yes. nice. Okay. That's interesting. We'll have to see how they taste, which depends, of course, where they're grown and their nutrients. But they came up, my pink Florida tomatoes. tomatoes. Yeah, they've come up so far. The Dixie have uh-huh. started to come up, and the banana peppers have not germinated yet. But I think peppers take a little bit longer to germinate than... The tomatoes do. I think and so. And the, well, gosh, the cucumbers were fast. I think I pr- planted those a week ago, and they came up three days ago. So I think it took them about four days yeah, we to germinate get... and come out of the soil. That was that was crazy. We got to get some really su- fast. Got to get some supports for those things because they are going to yes. grow very, very quickly. I was quickly. thinking about that today when I was out there watering them, that we need to go ahead and put some trellis supports around. Because when they get going, yeah, and I have them next to the screen of the patio. So remember last time we grew them, they grew up the screen. Yes. And then the cucumbers were hanging down from the pool screen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Hey, wait a minute. It's fun. This isn't Florida Farmer Review. This is the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour. Yes. We are a halcyon haven in a hostile world. And I am Joe Alton. MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand articles, posts, videos, all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton, 
I am a certified nurse midwife and, according to Florida, an advanced practice registered nurse, but I'm never going to say that. An APRN? Just an apron? Cha- an apron, I oh know. Oh, my gosh. Uh, sounds sexist to me. You know, <laughs> oh, let's take all the, the nurses and make them aprons. Instead of ARNPs, and that's Whatever. what you are. I, you know what? It's I have been saying ARNPs since 1994. I'm not changing it. So I'm an ARNP until the day I die. And Florida can suck it. Well, before you die, <laughs> tell the audience. Before you die, tell the audience who you are. I already s- Oh, did I not say my name? I don't think so. I'm Amy Alton. I'm also known as Nurse Amy. There you go. All right. Well, that's all we need to know because if once you know who we are, you know that we are the dynamic duo, that we are the prodigious pair, the courageous couple, and we are here to help the faithful few keep it together even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a lovelorn llama? Well, that's your story. You're sticking to it. Our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when times are tough and you're getting nothing but guff, like I get around here a lot, you better have some training. I'm sorry. Yeah. You must be thinking of some other relationship. Uh, I am nothing oh, but excuse me. But good to you, darling. Oh, you are and a you wonderful know it. person. You know it. Well, you guys better have some training out there. You better have some medical stuff if you're going to stay healthy in times of trouble. You got to ask yourself if a major disaster happened, would you have the knowledge? Would you have the training, the supplies to become an effective medic, to be the highest medical asset left and do some good in a bad situation? Well, it's time to show the world that you've got more sense than a bag of butterflies and get some (laughs) education. And while you're at it, how about a quality medical kit to go along with all that? If you do, you'll never have to prove your fortitude to me in any other way. And I can't think of any better place to get that quality medical kit than Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you deal with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. They'll make your home, your workplace, your school, your church safer, and sure enough, they're designed by an honest-to-gosh medical doctor and advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for content, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. You'll agree our kits are what you should have in your medical storage. If you want more proof, just check out our testimonial page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what folks just like you have to say about our medical kits and service. By the way, on top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings accounts. Just look at our special HSA FSA section in the store. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us, more probably. That's very painfully obvious. So why not connect with the geezer and the goddess? It's so easy, and here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, DR Bones, and Nurse Amy. Also, you can go to our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget the YouTube channel at DR Bones 
Nurse Amy. That's all one word, by the way. <laughs> there you go. It's youtube.com forward slash DR Bones Nurse Amy. There you go. And make sure that you check out our content and our many articles on in great magazines like Backwoods Home, American Survival Guide, Survivor's Edge, all sorts of different places on your bookstore shelves and also, gosh, just about anywhere on the interweb. Hey, here's one last shameless plug, last one. And this one is for our brand new book, Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, The Layman's Guide to Available Antibacterials in Austere Settings, a concentrated look on antibiotics that are available to the average person and the diseases those antibiotics cure. All the stuff I've been writing about all these years that I'm convinced in wise hands will save some who otherwise would not survive in times of trouble. I can confidently say you haven't read a book like this from anybody else that's a medical professional. This is not stuff you learn at your cert class or even from even from books like Where There Is No Doctor. In Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, we discuss all sorts of infectious diseases that are bacterial in nature mostly, how to use antibiotics wisely to treat them, individual antibiotics and diseases each one treats, including dosing, side effects, allergies, pregnancy, pediatric considerations, information about expiration dates, establishing sick rooms, dealing with wound infections, open wound care, all sorts of stuff. And if you want to be medically prepared, listen, I guarantee you that you will be happy to have Alton's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease, the layman's guide to available antibacterials in austere settings in your survival library. Remember, our books are meant for situations where there is not a functioning modern medical system. If there is, Get to a medical professional. ASAP, what is the matter with you guys? Hey, when a storm knocks out the power for a week, there may be medical emergencies. However, it's unlikely that the medic is going to have to deal with a dental emergency. If a disaster disables the grid long term, the medically responsible person is going to have to have a plan of action, though, when it comes to tooth issues. Dental problems are inevitable in any prolonged off-the-grid settings. Have you prepared by learning something about dental issues, how to treat some of the common medical issues? And one of those issues that may be common, or may become common at least, and could be very dangerous are tooth abscesses. So what is a tooth abscess? Well, an abscess in general is a collection of pus caused by an infection. And when it is in or around the tooth, we call it a tooth abscess. It's comprised of dead white blood cells, bacteria, and debris, all these casualties in the battle that your immune system wages against infection. And in most cases, this looks like pus. And the pus accumulates at the base of the root of the tooth. And that is what usually happens. Bacteria, however, doesn't enter there in most cases. It enters the tooth through a defect in the enamel. And the enamel is the tough outer covering of your tooth. And this defect occurs because of, let's say, a fracture of the tooth or a broken tooth uh, or decay, cavities, or because of damage to the gums. Now, in the case of decay, the enamel becomes eroded by, I guess, exposure to bacteria for long periods of time. And once a bacteria has gotten through the enamel, it allows access for them to invade softer inner layers like the dentin and the pulp. Once the pulp is infected with bacteria, that's where the nerve, nerves and the blood supply lives of each tooth. Well, 
the nerves become inflamed, and they indeed can die. Now, the inflammation leads to what we commonly call a toothache. And if the inflammation isn't treated, it can cause damage to the nerve, and that can lead to an abscess. Now, this type of abscess is called periapical because it's right there at the apex or the, or the tip of the tooth, in this case, the tip of the bottom of the tooth, and that's where all the pus and all the, the yuck, yucky stuff actually accumulates. You know, I have to say something that's it's really unusual if people haven't seen a, a dental setup, like a, a fake teeth set up inside of a fake jaw, is that teeth are mostly underneath the gum surface. Yes, a little like an iceberg almost. Exactly yes. what I was going to say. It's like an iceberg. You're pretty shocked when you see the tooth come out that there's so much under the gum. So there's a lot of area there that can be infected. That's right. And when severe infection occurs, it causes an accumulation of this pus that can cause pressure on not only the nerves on the root of the tooth, but the bony socket that the tooth lives in and right. the, actually the entire jaw. And, of course, gum disease can I think do... it's hard to ignore, too. Oh, I'll I say. I think it's very rare that a person says, oh, gee, Dr. Dentist, I did not know that I had a tooth abscess. <laughs> you know, and in... It's in, pretty in, obvious. Yes. You might not know exactly what you have, but I'm pretty sure everyone walks in saying... Gee, doctor, there is something seriously wrong with me. This really, really hurts. And absolutely. In a situation where you don't have modern dentistry, mm -hmm. and you have people that you need to do certain duties, activities of daily survival, mm -hmm. and they have a terrible toothache. If you've ever had a toothache and had to go to work, you know that your work efficiency is not at 100%. When you need to be at 110%, oh boy, like even, in survival, exactly. it's even worse. So one thing I have a question about, because I haven't had this done, but someone who's had a root canal done. I have. Right. That kills the nerves. Now, if you get an abscess in that particular tooth, you will feel that a little less, though, won't you? Yes, because there is, no, little less. there is no nerve there. So you won't feel it until it gets... It progresses till it gets into the bone socket where you actually have other nerves. Right. And the, or presses on some, some other area right, with and nerve endings. There are ways to identify it in which the jaw will swell. Sometimes you can have swelling on mm -hmm. one side of the jaw near where that tooth is. And eventually it's going to impinge upon the roots of teeth that are viable. That and are, so you will feel it at that and point. And so you're going to feel it at that so point. So I was just going to say, there might be a situation where you could have a small abscess and maybe not be completely aware of it. Yes. In, in the instance of a, someone who's had a root canal on that particular tooth. And indeed, that is one risk factor for a tooth abscess. If you've had a root canal uh -huh. you in, or, or some major dental work, there's always a chance that a, a higher chance mm -hmm. that an abscess can occur there. You can also have a tooth abscess not just because of things that happen in the tooth, but things that happen in the gums. If you have terrible gums mm -hmm. and, and they're infected, just a lot of bacteria there, you know, severe gum disease can also lead to an accumulation of pus. And that's a different kind of abscess than the periapical abscess. That's called a periodontal abscess. And in this case, the infection starts along a tooth rather than in it. Now, in that this case, 
there's good things and bad things because you're causing pressure on the bony socket uh-huh. of the tooth and the jaw. But the tooth that's actually involved may not be badly damaged and actually might be salvageable in some some circumstances. Mm-hmm. So what are the signs and symptoms of a tooth abscess? Now, you, as you mentioned, it may, there may be no symptoms in some situations right. where the nerve is completely dead. At least at dead. the beginning, right? Right. So in it's important, or in the beginning or at the very end, when the tube, when the nerve is completely dead. Oh. So there you go. Now, it's important to be able to identify the signs and symptoms of a tooth abscess if you're going to be the medic in a uh, survival situation. And these include things like pain, obviously. And the pain is often a throbbing pain, throbbing in nature. And what it does, it goes to nearby structures like the jaw. The tooth will be sensitive to cold and in some and as it progresses, it will also be sensitive to heat, to any extreme in temperature. So if you touch it with a... Uh, just a little, let's say, warmed up dental pick or something like that, it can cause a great deal of pain or, or with a, uh, any, a piece of ice, anything like that. And also pressing upon the tooth or tapping upon the tooth is going to cause pain. Um, even, of course, chewing, which is obviously two teeth pressing against each other, that will also cause a lot of pain as well. Once you start getting it spreading to other tissues, you may have a swelling of the face. You may have fever that may occur. As it goes into your circulation, you may actually develop a terrible infection called septicemia in which the blood gets infected and you actually can die of that. If, and certainly if you didn't have modern medical care, that would be a risk. Yeah, other people notice that if you have bad gum disease, you may notice foul breath. If the abscess is draining. Of course, there's pus draining into your mouth. That's going to taste bad. Uh, many times we'll notice a whitehead at the site of the, a whitehead pimple looking head at the site of the abscess. And if the swelling is bad enough, you might actually have difficulty swallowing or even breathing in the severe cases. Now, a tooth with rotting pulp, by the way, how could you identify a tooth, a tooth in which the pulp is dead, it starts changing color. It becomes darker in color, and it can do that even without having all of these other symptoms that I just mentioned. So what do you do for a tooth abscess? The discomfort from a tooth abscess could be so bad that your work efficiency is affected. I mentioned that before. And you really have to deal with it in some way. Now, dental abscesses today are treated by several means, and that depends on the situation. Some of these are options off the grid for the medic, and some of them aren't. You can try antibiotics. Sometimes antibiotics are prescribed, especially if the infection is either very early or if the infection is actually has spread beyond the abscess into the soft tissues of the rest of the face or, or of the jaw. That when they... When dentists treat these, they usually see, they seem to like, as far as I can tell, drugs in the penicillin family. And so as long as you're not allergic to penicillin, you might consider that. Sometimes they use erythromycin if you are. This may be effective for at least a mild local infection. It's certainly useful for an infection that's spread to soft tissue. But the problem is that antibiotics by themselves rarely give rid, get rid of an abscess. An abscess has a wall. It tends to wall itself off in such a way that oral antibiotics have trouble reaching it, especially if it's become a certain size. So antibiotics may be helpful. Uh, they could be helpful, especially in combinations with some of the other treatments. And 
The other treatment that you might consider is performing what we call an incision and drainage. An incision and drainage procedure is a minor surgical procedure. You use a number 11 scalpel or a number 15 scalpel and lots of irrigation. Now, you have a syringe that has a little... Yeah, right, go ahead. Yeah, 12cc curved syringe. In your dental kit. Yes. And and when you say curved, it means that the The tip tip of it... The tip is curved, so it allows for um, better irrigation in an angle where you can't really go straight into where that tooth socket was because obviously you can't crack the jaw open so much (laughs) that you can insert a syringe at a 90-degree angle. So you have to kind of go in the mouth, and then that curved helps you direct the fluid straight down into where that socket is. Well, if you're a pimple popper out there, Ew, you're going to love. Stop. You're going to love the video. Not not my video, but a video yes. that I put up with the on YouTube with the actual process of incising and draining a tooth abscess, in which they use I think a number fifteen scalpel to pop it essentially, mm. and then they use your exact 12cc syringe with oh, the curve head to irrigate it out with saline solution, with salt water solution. And so this is something that is important. You've got to get as much of that pus out as you possibly can. The good thing is that people will usually feel immediate relief from the pressure that's caused by the collection of pus. Now, thoroughly irrigating that abscessed area is going to get all that debris out and sometimes in order to allow it to continue to drain so it doesn't accumulate more you they put a little bit of a little tiny penrose drain i've mentioned this before this is sort of a latex or a rubber drain that's cut to fit into the opening and it helps continue drainage after the procedure this method is most effective with the abscesses that occur as a result of gum disease with periapical abscesses, the ones that come through the tooth and, and drain out the bottom of the root, and it probably won't save a tooth due to a badly damaged nerve. Once the nerve is really, really damaged, well, you got a problem. Extraction. Extraction is another option that you have, and sure enough, in the past, 90% of dental emergencies were dealt with by extracting the tooth. Now, when I say in the old days, I don't mean Roman times. I mean about 60 to 70 years ago or so. That's what they did pretty much routinely. And if all the methods that are used to save teeth aren't available, well, that's what you're going to have to rely on as definitive treatment for teeth that are damaged by abscesses. By the way, we discuss all of these procedures in our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook. That's now in its third edition. It's at it's on Amazon.com, also at our website. It's store.doomandbloom.net. And we also have this information in the book, Where There Is No Dentist. And that comes as, I think you give that as a complimentary gift with absolutely. your dental kit. Yes, absolutely. Because we 100% believe in education and supplies. There you go. And indeed, the best supplies and indeed some really great education. Another thing that they do, modern dentistry does, is a root canal. And that's modern dentistry is really their most likely way that they're going to save a tooth. They have a specialist known as an endodontist, and that person drills into your tooth, goes to where the nerves nerves are in the pulp, and it cleans out all that dead and damaged pulp from the canals that contain it. And they put this material called gutta percha in it, and that is sort of like a cement. Mm Mm-hmm. 
that closes off that area. So it seals that empty space where the nerve was, and then maybe sometimes they'll put a filling on top of it or they'll put a crown on top of, top of that so that it looks like a normal tooth. And this option, of course, is great, and it does save a lot of teeth. It has saved some of my teeth. I've had two or three of them. But it's not going to be an option in any remote or post-disaster setting. Yeah, it's just too complicated. Absolutely. Once, and I think that probably um, requires a lot of drilling, a lot oh, of yeah. equipment right. that we're just not going to have to That's, clean it all out. It is. I mean, when you have these this are done, tiny canals. Think about, but think about this: how many, how long has it taken this procedure when you've had it done? That he's just drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling, and you're, I mean, hours. Oh yeah. I've sat in the waiting room for hours while you've have had this done, or yeah. sometimes in the room with you if they let me. Well, it depends on the canal, on how wide the canal is that the nerve lives in. Remember, once they said they couldn't even do it. Right. They did part of it, but they couldn't get to the other canals for some reason. I had to go back, and they actually were able to get it the second, second time, time around. But boy, it was a complex situation. Oh. The guy was like, he was muttering to himself <laughs> under his breath, I'll tell you, while he, while he was doing that. Well, anyhow, if you have any of these procedures done, whether it's an IND or an extraction, things like that, mm-hmm. you always should... Incision sig- and drainage. Or incision and drainage, <laughs> right? Well, uh, you always should make your patient do a lot of warm salt water gargles yes. afterwards. Make sure you give them something for pain, like ibuprofen. is something you can accumulate in quantity, and so make sure you have lots of that in your medical supplies. And then over the course of time, they should be better. There are some after extraction problems, something called dry socket, but we're, we don't have time for that this time around. We'll talk about that next next show, maybe. So, oh, by the way, fun fact. Uh, do you know why dentists remove wisdom teeth? Because they are indeed particularly prone to developing tooth abscesses because they're so hard to reach when brushing. Decay tends to be found much later in the process once it's gone all the way down into the nerve and it causes a great deal of pain think or think about where they're located. Oh, yeah, way back there. They're near the ear. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's there's a whole mess of things in the, that area that you really, really wouldn't want to severely affect. Yeah, they're way back there, and that indeed is what's going on. So how do you prevent having or getting a tooth abscess? To, to best prevent it, then you should, of course, identify your family or group members that have risk factors for it. Poor dental hygiene habits, that's probably the best way that you can prevent issues like this from occurring. So make sure you you include in your supplies for the zombie apocalypse, you make sure that you include <laughs> toothbrushes and toothpaste. There you go. Right. And of course... Or you, baking soda. Baking soda baking will do. Great. And if you run out of toothbrushes, you can take a twig. The Native Americans used to take twigs and chew on the end until it was sort of fibrous and brush-like, and they would brush with a with their... Um, twigs. Shoot, shoot up twigs, right? There you go. Of course, even even just a, Wait, a hand I, towel would probably help. Oh my gosh, you just read Were you my just going to say that? I was okay. just going to say, sometimes I brush my teeth and then I use a washcloth. And the reason I use a washcloth, not it, it's not really for my teeth, it's for my gums. So I, I put my finger under the washcloth 
And then I take that finger with the washcloth covering it and I rub my gums up and down. And I rub all of my gums. It, it especially cleans at the gum area, which is sometimes difficult to get to. Um, but it massages the gums and keeps them healthier. I probably do this two or three times a week. I don't know that I, you've even seen me ever do no, it. No, I've seen you do it. Have you seen sure. me do it? My God, we've been a together secret. for It's my secret. Decades. My secret gum massaging <laughs> clue. <laughs> and I just have good teeth. I mean, folks, it's not that I did some miracle thing when I was a kid. I, I think oh, this is terrible to admit, but, you know, probably 50% of the time that my mom asked me if I brushed my teeth, I said yes, that I had not actually brushed you my are, teeth. <laughs> oh, you're the worst. Isn't that terrible? Well, other people that are the worst. That but are, I was a kid, <laughs> and you know, that's what kids do. <laughs> other people that are going to have problems include smokers, uh, people with diabetes, gastric reflux. If you have gastric reflux, that's a problem. Weakened immune systems. Of course, anybody with a diet high in sugar, that's something you have to work on uh, at the elderly with dry mouth, that's also something. And also people that are on steroids or have weakened immune systems. Uh, and also people that gnash their teeth together. If you grind your grinder of your teeth, that's called bruxism, and it can cause trauma that can lead to a dental abscess. So this is something that is a big issue. It's going to be something you're going to encounter as the medic in times of trouble. And in future shows, we're going to be talking about dealing with other dental issues that the off-grid medic might encounter. Hey, sometimes we bring people on the show that have their own website, that have a particular mission, and today we're going to talk to the folks at theprepared.com. Tom Rader is managing editor at The Prepared. He's a former Navy corpsman with Marine Recon. He's a former paramedic. He currently teaches wilderness medicine for hundreds of hours every year, and he's also the former editor-in-chief of the Firearm Blog. John Stokes is deputy editor at The Prepared. He's the founder of the popular technology website Ars Technica and a former Wired editor. Wow, interesting. John is also founding editor of AllOutdoor.com and a contributing editor at TheFirearmBlog.com. Hey, please forgive a little bit of my audio. is a little bit choppy on this interview. These other guys, John and Tom, they sound great. I'm a little bit choppy, but they're doing most of the talking, so I hope you'll bear with me. Tom and John, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Sounds great. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today. Thanks for having us on. You're very, very welcome. Let's start off with you telling us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, let's start with Tom. So um, I got into prepping a few years back, actually several years back, and didn't really know that it was much about prepping. Um, it was just kind of, you know, taking care of, you know, getting things done around the house and just uh, being, you know, uh, kind of in a self-sustainment mode. Um, my background uh, is in uh, medicine, basically. I was a paramedic for a while, got recruited into the Navy and spent some time uh, uh, playing downrange. Um, and now I, uh, you know, write for the prepared and uh, also do um, uh, teach wilderness medicine. Uh, several courses a year. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you for your service, by the way. How about you, John? I I started um, I started prepping when I lived in San Francisco, and I was just kind of doing your basic earthquake prep. Uh, I, I have kind of always my I'm from South Louisiana, and 
we we all you know we had hurricane preps and we've always been kind of minded that way and that was just sort of a part of daily life and so um i'm kind of like tom i kind of got into this before i knew that there was such a thing as prepping and i uh was uh founding editor of alloutdoor.com for a while and we ran a lot of of uh prepping content and that site still still exists and still runs a lot of prepping content um, i contribute there occasionally and so I got to know the scene pretty well um, from that angle. I mean, it was an outdoor site, but what I found is that the preppers uh, had the most detailed reviews of gear. And so we kind of leaned on on a lot of that that community for our uh, our outdoor gear reviews. And so I kind of got a little deeper into, into preparedness that way. And so now I'm deputy editor at uh, The Prepared, and um, I'm working on this in this space full time. Tell me a little bit about your worldview. People who begin prepping oftentimes, I mean, of course, in Florida, we're hurricane preppers just like you are on the Gulf Coast over there. Do you guys think that we're going to heck in a handbasket or things just peachy keen? What's the deal? Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm not somebody that, that preps for a specific event. I think that there's a lot of things to be concerned about in the world. I mean, they're kind of, but there kind of always has been. Um you know, so so I am more of just um, I think more in terms of time frames. Like um, I want to be prepared for for local disasters, you know, tornadoes, hurricane, flood, whatever it is that's specific to my geography. And then I think about um, sort of number of weeks or months without access to basic services. And so I kind of prep um, for generic, you know, two weeks with no basic services, you know, four months with no basic services, stuff like that. Um, I, you know, I do have different opinions about things like, you know, climate change or economic instability, stuff like that. But I will say that I don't, um, you know, that, that stuff informs my prepping, but it's not like a, a major, a major thing that I obsess over. I just, I try to, I try to stay flexible and I try to not get fixated on, oh, you know, economic collapse or, you know, civil unrest or something like this. Um, I mostly just think, well, maybe I'll, I'll be two weeks without, without electricity or maybe I'll be four months without electricity, something like that. So you're basically a, a prepping for off-the-grid kind of prep. Yeah, yeah. Well, our, our on-grid, too. I mean, there's, there's, some, kind, there's some sorts of disasters that, that you can face where, you know, there's still a grid, um, you know, you may have like a localized regional disaster until you may evacuate or something like that. So, so I would say at the further end of the spectrum, um, yeah, I, I, I try to prepare for a certain amount of, of, um, of off-grid living. All right. Sounds good. How about you? Um, my, mine's a little different. Um, I kind of got into it because I, I do a lot of traveling for my work. And so, um, my vehicle kind of has become my uh, my world when I'm out out away from my house and where a lot of my you know kind of uh, standard support is, if you will. And so, you know, some of my uh, you know, prepping, if you will, became kind of how do I have you know the creature comforts, the stuff that I need to be able to you know just uh, you know survive on a day to day basis and, and you know a relatively amount you know relative amount of comfort um, while I'm on the road or in kind of more austere environments. And so some of it kind of centered around that, like, you know, what tools do I need? What things, you know, is it difficult to find in other places? And then also, 
if I'm, uh, you know, in a place where, you know, some sort of, you know, environmental condition happens or something in the natural world happens, you know, can I safely get out of there? Um, can I safely extract out, um, you know, anything from like a, you know, a heavy rain blocking a road to, you know, forest fire cropping up somewhere that uh, suddenly impacts your routes. So, you know, kind of a lot of the, the, you know, prepping, if you will, that I've done has been kind of around, you know, mitigating those sorts of things and allowing, you know, allowing kind of my, my uh, personal ability to get in and out of places that I need to get in and out of. Yeah, that's true. And also, we don't take into account oftentimes that the authorities, if they see a, a true disaster occurring, they may direct traffic in and out. They may block some routes, certainly need a lot of alternatives with regard with regards to hitting the road when it comes to that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, most preparedness folks, they collect materials. You guys put together a website for the public. Tell us about your website, theprepared.com, and what drove you to put it together. Well, the um, we, we we saw that that a lot of prepping websites are uh, really focused on like super hardcore doom and gloom stuff, or they're like very heavily political, um, a lot of things of this nature. And what we wanted to do was to to create a website that is um, like has kind of a broader appeal is not trying to cram a bunch of politics or religion or, you know, doom and gloom kind of stuff down your throat. And that is just more for sane and rational preparedness that is really accessible to anybody that wants to get into this. I mean, we all come from a variety of, you know, political commitments and and other kind of things like that. We're not super interested in um, uh, obsessing over that stuff. Uh, we kind of think preparedness is for everybody, no matter who you are or where you live. And we all uh, kind of had this mentality. And, and so that's, that's sort of the, the kind of basic pitch of the site is, is you show up. Um, we focus on gear, on skills, on mindset, on scenarios, on how to think and, and on equipping people. And, we focused on um, what and how and providing context. And we don't just, you know, have the daily, um, you know, the daily uh, EMP thing or the daily North Korea thing or whatever thing like that. You know, I mean, that's, that's sort of not our, sort of not our, our thing. So, so we felt like that was a big gap in the market. There's just, there's a little too much things kind of tend to, um, you know, the prepping is just sort of stuck in this niche. And so we kind of, we kind of think that we're in a moment. A lot of people have woken up with, you know, wildfires, floods in the Midwest, you know, a lot of these kind of extreme weather events, political instability, political uncertainty at home. A lot more people are, are kind of waking up and are coming into this. And we want to roll out a very friendly welcome mat. We want them to feel welcome and to feel comfortable uh, in, in prepping as an activity and prepping as a community, a lot of prepper forums, a lot of prepper groups are very, um, they're very closed. They're dogmatic. You show up, you get hazed, you know, by the gray beards, you ask the question, you know, people pounce on you, stuff like that. Um, we don't do that. That's not something that we're interested in. We don't, we don't uh, entertain that kind of thing. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, where you live. 
uh, we want to get you started. Well, I think that's great. We have a lot of folks, many of them because of the political climate, that are of every part of the political spectrum that are becoming more and more concerned about the way things are going. And we used to get a lot of people from the right side of the spectrum that uh, and some sites are, are completely on one side. I'm seeing a lot of people now that are concerned that are, are from the left side of the spectrum as well are beginning to press. So I, I really see the need for a non-political resource for people to be able to get information without having a particular philosophy shoved down their throat. And that's what we've done on our website, of course. You know, we as a medical website, we don't care what you think. If you're a combat medic and an enemy is injured, you're going to take care of the enemy if you uh, you're able to. But we just turn people off by trying to make them adhere to a particular philosophy in order to get our information. And and you're not doing that. I think that's great. Matter of fact, you, you're an advocate of something called sane prepping. Tell me a little bit about sane prepping. Yeah, sane prepping is is really just about um, there there's a few elements. One is is not focusing on just extreme events, you know, the Yellowstone caldera, pole flipping, whatever kind of, you know, um, super-duper doomsday stuff. Uh, we have resources on the site if you're concerned about long-term grid down. Uh, this is something that we take seriously and that we do want to prepare for, but that's not the focus. You don't come to the site and read about, you know, um, complete collapse scenarios. And so we're, we're interested in everything from two weeks you know, out to long-term grid down, and we do kind of focus on uh, some of the more short-term and regional emergencies. So, in other words, things that you're actually likely to encounter um, versus the kind of walking dead stuff. Um, financial preparedness is a piece of it. You know, most people, they're, they're, um, the event that they're going to really impact them is probably like a medical bill or something or a job loss. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that's, you know, that's not as sexy and, and, um, and Hollywood friendly, but these are like real, you know, if this happens to you, it's, it's every bit as big of an emergency as if the grid goes down. So, so we focus on that. Um, when it comes to gear selection, uh, when it comes to skills, uh, we, we stay away from fantasy stuff. So we're not pushing Rambo knives on people, you know, or, um, you know, any of this other kind of, um, you know, kind of fantasy or crossbows or stuff like that. We try to, we, we talk to experts in the field. So for instance, uh, Tom, he can speak uh, to our medical guide, but, you know, Tom obviously has significant expertise in austere medicine and, um, and, and myself, uh, I'm a, I'm a, um, a, a blade and edge tools person, axes, knives, that kind of stuff. I've been an enthusiast in that space for my entire life. And we went out and found other enthusiasts to help with those guides. Um, when we're doing land navigation, you know, we talk to uh, wilderness instructors and stuff like this. Uh, so whatever, whatever guide we produce, whatever space we go into, we go in and we find uh, experts like I did a big EMP um, guide where I interviewed a guy from NASA about space weather. I interviewed uh, a person, uh, a senior, very senior engineer who who prepares a classified and unclassified reports for government agencies about the impact of a solar flare or a nuke. 
So we go in and we try and talk to experts and we do deep dive. And that's part of the, the sane and rational prepping mentality is forget about Hollywood, forget about the walking dead, forget about a lot of the stuff that, that preppers get into and, you know, try and think things through rationally um, and, and in a sane and systematic way. I think that sane prepping is the way to go. I believe me, I've seen insane prepping. I remember being asked to be on a show called Doomsday Preppers that was on a few years back. And boy, oh boy, the folks, I refused to be on it after I saw a couple of episodes of this thing because they just make people out to be crazy, number one. And the people themselves were maybe not really into sane prepping so much. They were pretty extreme. So how does a website like yours actually earn an income? I don't see ads on your website. Right now, we're doing uh, affiliate. So when you click through one of the guys and you buy a product, uh, we get a small cut uh, from from one of our affiliate partners for that. So that way, we're incentivized to put really good gear in front of people because if people come to the site and they buy some gear and it's junk, um, they're not going to come back. So we curate the selection. We go through, we read all the reviews. Um, in a lot of cases, we actually go out and buy the gear or round it up, solicit it, um, and we, we put it together and we go out and beat on it and then we rank it and we do these big roundups. And so we take a lot of care in the, um, the commercial choices that we put in front of our, in front of our users, because that's our, that's our main source of revenue at this time. And people have to feel like they can rely on the site because if they come through and they buy a piece of gear from, you know, they find a recommendation from the prepared, and it turns out to be garbage, they're, they're not going to trust us for anything else. So that's, you know, we don't do ads right now. Um, I don't know really, you know, what's on the menu there, but our focus right now is on the affiliate stuff. Well, that makes sense. You're, you're doing something very nice that not a lot of sites do, and that's you donate a percentage of your site's income to something called 1% for the planet. What, what is that, and, and why did you make that so? Yeah, I'm, you know, that. That is something that, uh, I've got to be honest, it predates me a little bit. I came on um, a year into the site's existence after the founder, John Ramey, had started it. Um, my understanding, so I, I can't speak to it, uh, like, super detailed. My understanding is that that's more, like, that's an environmental-type charity. Um, one of the things of the prepared that we do, which some people could construe it as a political stance, but we don't think that it's a political stance, is we take climate change seriously. So we, you know, our, our site is a site that, that takes climate change seriously. And if you take climate change seriously, um, how, whatever you think is causing climate change or not causing it, um, if you take the fact of climate change seriously, then um, we, that's, that's, some, that's, that's in the spectrum of things that we help people prepare for. And part of, our, uh, part of taking that seriously is putting our money where our mouth is. So we do donate. Uh, a percentage of the revenues to this um, this charity that that kind of works on 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 that spectrum of environmental issues. Worrying about the environment and being concerned about the environment, you know, I think that's a, a very reasonable thing, no matter what side of the political fence that you're on. I'm a backcountry hiker. I uh, have a second home that overlooks the Smoky Mountains National Park, and I'm concerned about the environment. Important for every citizen, and of course, climate is part of that. 
I think that's a very reasonable thing to do, and you know, I support you for what, what you're doing, and I think it's a wonderful thing that you're donating uh, a percentage of your site's income to the organization. So tell me a little bit about what's in the future for theprepared.com. What are you hoping to accomplish in the next couple of years for your site? So so we, uh, and I'm, I feel like I should let Tom jump in here too, uh, which which I'll, 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 uh, I'll just give a quick hit, and then I'll let him you know, follow up. But um, we, we're really right now we're focused on laying the foundation. There's a lot of, of parts that there's a lot of, of really big guides that we need to write. There's a lot of deep research that we still need to do and publish. And we're in the middle of a lot of like really long-term things. Tom is working his way through this, um, through, through the medical side of the site and trying to produce a comprehensive body of literature for, for people that want to be prepared in terms of medicine and hygiene and that stuff. Um, I'm doing a lot of different gear things right now. I'm working on batteries and, you know, soon it'll be um, fire and, you know, fire starting techniques and stuff like that. So there's some foundational things that we want to lay, like in the next, um, you know, six months to a year, we really want to build that base up. And we also, at some point, I think, you know, in the, in the more near term, we're going to start, doing a little more traditional news gathering. I mean, we don't, we're not very heavy on blogging right now. We don't do a lot of content volume. Um, you know, we don't, we don't publish that many times a month yet because we're so focused on these deep dives. I mean, the EMP guide that I published was some 10,000 words. Um, you know, quite often we'll do, you know, six, 8,000 word really deep dive guides with a lot of research and many, many, many hours. And um, so, we're, we're really kind of laying that down and, you know, getting all of that, that basic structure in place. And we're going to start at some point bringing more news, more of a regular flow, and, and then we'll see where that takes us. But for the, for the near to medium term, we're going to stick to the spade work and the foundation work so that when people show up on the prepared Everything is comprehensive. Everything is insanely well-researched, like consumer reports level. Um, things are tested, and when we make recommendations, people can rely on them. Tom, you yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's, uh, John nailed it actually perfectly. It's, uh, it, it's really the, you know, the kind of bread and butter are those deep dives, um, like these obsessively researched guides, if you will. Um, and, there, you know, honestly, there's a lot of staples to cover in the preparedness space. Um, you know, they, when you come to a, a, a site that talks about, you know, self-reliance, self-preparedness, you kind of expect to see certain things there. And so we're, you know, kind of filling in the gaps on the big, you know, the big topics, you know, um, you know, like the fire starting, like you said, you know, power sources, lighting, you know, uh, navigation, water, all of those, right? We've got to hit all the big topics. Then we'll start filling in as we get, uh, you know, kind of feedback from our community as well you know, things that they're interested in seeing and, you know, you know, could you expand a little more on this topic or that topic, you know, then we'll start doing some kind of more specific, uh, you know, dives into those. But really the, the start is, you know, the, you know, the biggest focus for the next period of time is getting these, these, uh, these well-researched guides out there um, to lay that foundation. And then we'll start kind of uh, adding on the other topics as we go and then start to supplement with more kind of, you know, contemporary topical stuff. Um, where it's relevant and where, you know, it kind of ties back into the guides and, and just our general philosophy. What have I not covered? What about your site should I have asked you about that? I haven't asked. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I feel like we've kind of talked through um, a 
lot of the the kind of the meta stuff, what the site is, where it's going, what our outlook, what our philosophy is. I mean, I'm happy to talk. We're happy to talk about any of the stuff that we've covered. If you want to go into any particular topic areas um, that you see on the site, um, and, and you want to discuss, especially like the medical stuff with Tom, um, he's he's in the midst of of finishing off the um, the wound care guide and some of the other stuff, and so he's been kind of neck deep in that. Um, but as far as I think the meta topics, I think we've covered that stuff pretty well. You have an article that you definitely want our audience to check into. That for me, uh, for me, it would be the EMP guide or one of the blade guides, like axes or knives or something like that. But probably the the, the EMP. Um, we tried to take a sane look at it and get away from a lot of the hype and the fear mongering. And there's there's even some politics in this topic and look at industry incentives and uh, you know around the power grid. A lot of this other stuff. So, so I would think that that's probably um, that's my favorite because it's my most recent and it's the one that I put a lot into. I'll let Tom speak to his. Yeah, I would say you know, I mean, I I absolutely love the medical stuff. But one of the the guides that that really kind of resonated with me was uh, some of the stuff that John recently did around the blade stuff because that was kind of a gap in my preparedness. Um, like I didn't really see the need for an axe or some of those more specialty tools. It was, you know, always a mindset of just a regular kind of good field blade. Um, and so, you know, I, I found that to be something very, you know, uh, uh, very worthwhile for me to pick up and learn. It was just a, you know, a really well done guide, you know, not to you know, toot our own horn about it, but I thought it was a very comprehensive guide to something I hadn't really seen before. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good one to look at. Tom Rader, John Stokes, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us about your website, theprepared.com. Are there other ways that our listeners can connect with you? Uh, we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter. Uh, we're pretty responsive on Facebook and Twitter. Um, they can also drop us an email. And what's your Twitter handle? I think it's the prepared uh, on Twitter. So. Okay, and anything on Facebook? Yeah. yeah, they should be able to find us that way. All right, yeah, sounds good. Facebook is home of the prepared. The Facebook is home of the prepared. Okay. Home of the prepared. Well, thanks so much again for coming on the show, and I wish you the very, very best uh, of luck in your future ventures. I think you're doing great things for people. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Survival Medicine Hour. I'm Joe Alton for Amy Alton. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.